terms of solutions, solutions for our community uh, that come from poweronomics. Again, the critical, critical race theory is uh, number three. This is page 188 of the book, Black Labor, White Wealth. You can get a copy at poweronomics.com. He says, although the size of the black consumer market is limited, that is not necessarily an insurmountable barrier to building businesses. Markets can be expanded to achieve economies of scale by exporting products from black communities to surrounding communities. With a strong sense of national community, a product produced in one black community could be competitively produced for domestic or markets in black foreign nations. So what Dr. Anderson is talking about here is the idea of of wiring back into Africa and wiring into the Caribbean, wiring into the diaspora. Uh, One of the things that we must do when we're teaching our kids critical, critical race theory, remember not critical race theory, critical, critical race theory uh, and solution oriented um, uh, sort of frameworks is they've got to be connected to black people around the world. Your kids must know about the Caribbean. Your kids must know about Africa and all the countries in Africa that have millions and millions of people that white people don't teach you about in school at all. You know about all the countries of Europe, but you don't know nothing about Africa. That is not an accident. So, in fact, um, let me see here. The countries in Africa, it's, it's, uh, it's really fascinating when I look at the countries in Africa and you look at the populations. It's, it's amazing. There are 54 countries in Africa. A lot of your kids never learn about these countries. And it's amazing how they can make 100 million people disappear. Half a billion people disappear. They can convince you that several hundred million people do not exist. Nigeria, 206 million Ethiopia has 114 million uh, relatives, loved ones, and cousins that, that you don't learn anything about. Egypt has 102 million. Now compare that. Now remember, the largest cities in the United States, the largest cities in the U.S. Let me look at the list. The largest cities in the United States, uh, New York is the largest with 8.4 million. L.A. has 4 million. Chicago has 2.8 million. Houston has 2.3 million. Phoenix has 1.66 million. So these are tiny compared to the countries of Africa. So the Cong- the DR Congo, how many of you had any, how much time in school did your teacher spend teaching you about uh, about the Congo? Uh, give me, somebody answer me in the chat. How much time did you spend in school learning anything about the Congo? Right, none. Right, so, so, so think about this though. The Congo is 10 times larger than New York City, the largest city in the United States. How in the world can they convince you to ignore 89 million people that look like you and then got you running around calling yourself a minority. Well, you call yourself a minority because of all the missing black people. <laughs> they made the Negroes disappear. You talk about the spook that sat by the door. Now, this is the spook that, that never came through the door. <laughs> they, the spook that never came in the room. Like they, they literally hid all these people from you. It's crazy to me. It's, it's, it's almost criminal. Tanzania, 59.7 million people. South Africa, 59.3 million. Kenya, 53.7 million. Uganda, 45.7 million. Algeria, 43.8 million. So, so, so mind you, here's, 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 I'm going to summarize it this way. Africa has um, 32 countries, sorry, 33 countries, 33 countries that are bigger than New York City. They have 33 countries that are bigger than New York City. And a very youthful population, thank you very much, uh, Raya said, I agree, a very youthful population, that's a trillion-dollar commodity. The, the human capital in Africa is worth several trillion dollars. That doesn't include the gold, that doesn't include the diamonds, doesn't include the silver, doesn't include the oil, doesn't include the timber, doesn't include all those other resources that the Chinese are coming, going over there taking. 
right? And so, so part of wealth comes from knowing where the wealth is at and knowing how to go get it. Seriously, knowing where the wealth is at, knowing how to go get it, and then making a plan to go get that, obtain that wealth. So if you are made aware at an early age of where the wealth is located in this world, then you are in a position to make a plan to go obtain that wealth, which means that instead of your children making their first trip to Africa at the age of 40, they're making their first trip of Af- to Africa at the age of four. They, they've gone to Kenya and, and Algeria, you know, five or six times, so they gain a comfort level, which then allows them to understand the systems, the political systems, well enough in those countries to go over there and do business. When you train your kids to go do business in other spaces, they know how to go in those spaces and get money. Like if I told you guys in this room to go into Goldman Sachs, into the Jewish culture, and go get a million dollars, you wouldn't know what to do. Most of y'all wouldn't know. A lot of of us wouldn't know what to do. That ain't our space. We don't know the rules. We don't know how things operate. Or if I said, go to Shanghai and go get rich in Shanghai, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't even, you would have no idea what to do, right? Well, your children should, should know. So that means that exposing them to the richness of Africa, uh, first of all, letting them know about that they have 1.3 billion loved ones that are waiting over in another continent to do business with them, to connect with them. They don't have to be in a place where they're always a minority. They can go to places where they are the majority, not just at an HBCU, not just in a penitentiary, but also in a country where, where or continent, excuse me, a continent where there are, are a ton of opportunities, a ton of really smart, innovative people, a ton of people that would welcome them with open arms. Okay. In fact, the, the most difficult thing about going to Africa, honestly, might be getting used to being in a space where you can't use racism as an excuse as much as you could before. Doesn't mean white supremacy doesn't exist. It's still there, right? It's still there, colonialism, all that. Yeah. But when I was in Ghana uh, a couple years ago, I felt in, I had the interesting feeling where it was weird being in a space where white people are the minority and, and, and we were the majority. That can happen with your kids. All right. So let me keep reading. On page 188, the book's Black Labor, White Wealth by Dr. Claude Anderson. You can get a copy at Powernomics.com. So he says, um, vertical businesses within within Black communities would reduce high underemployment and unemployment rates by hiring Black people, enhancing their community's tax base, and increasing their group's wealth and disposable income. As previously discussed, there's enough capital within the Black community to support businesses. In addition, Black businesses would not have to market themselves to Blacks only. They simply need to have a solid base of Black customers, just as all other ethnic and racial groups provide solid and dependable customer bases for their industries. So when you start the family business, or when your family member starts a family business, their first customer base should be the people that are in their circle that are going to help them succeed. Right. That is um, I heard somebody say instead of having just baby showers, we should have business showers. So when you give birth to a baby, we give you gifts and we support you in every way. Well, we should have business showers. You gave birth to a business. I want to come by to your house. We're going to have a great party. I'm going to support you in every way. We're going to pray for you, lay hands on you. We're going to give you as much advice as possible. I'm going to let you know about networks and connections. I'm going to buy some of your product. I might make an investment. I might donate my time. I would do, I will share it on social media. I would do everything in my power to, to boost you up and make sure you're winning, make sure you're successful. I'm not just going to sit there and watch while you drown and then, and then talk about you behind your back. We don't do that because we love each other. Right. And if you don't have people around you who have that same energy, find those people and make those make those people your circle. 
Be very intentional about your circle because some of these Negroes are poisoned. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You got people in our own families and our communities whose brains are just gone and backwards, small minded, just destructive, ridiculous. And when you identify that kind of behavior, you must distance yourself so you can focus on doing things that are good. Spreading love instead of pain. Pain is painful. I don't like pain. (laughs) Pain is not fun. So I tend to find myself um, aiming. uh, When I came to Atlanta this week, uh, my wife and I came down here to do some business and work on our house, stuff like that. I have a thousand people, that a, a ton of people that know me in Atlanta. I deliberately reached out with people to people that I'm building with, people that are going to bring positive energy around in my space. I'm not trying to connect with people who are going to kill me at an early age. Okay. All right. Next. Uh, five. Black leadership must find opportunities for black businesses to gain access to raw materials. If the concept of vertical integration is to be viable, since established white industries have controls on most natural resources and raw materials, blacks should focus their energies on black African or third world nations. Africa represents both another market for expansion and a new source of natural resources that could fuel black business in America. Uh, Blacks should seek business relationships with various independent African countries, primarily in terms of securing competitive control of resources for new vertically integrated industries. Blacks could then start businesses based upon new valuable resources such as hardwood from Cameroon for a vertical chain of wood milling and furniture manufacturing rubber for an automobile tire company or diamonds and gold for jewelry and industrial use. Sixth. Black municipal governments should establish a trade policy between black communities and white suburbs. It is not fair. It is not a fair trade for white suburbs to simply ship products into black communities, but never purchase products produced within those communities. Fair trade policies and practices within white suburbs should go hand in hand with establishing vertical businesses and industries. A trade policy will become more important as the number of industries within the inner cities increases. So what Dr. Anderson is referring to is what they talk about in economics as a trade deficit. Uh, Part of the reason that black people lose so much of our wealth is because we have a negative trade deficit with the world. That means that the relationship is very simple. Um, They are, you know, they're doing the screwing, you get screwed, right? You ain't making love, you're getting screwed, right? So ultimately, uh, when you're talking about the economic relationship and why they wanted to integrate you is they wanted to integrate your, your dollars into their economy. They wanted to integrate your labor into their employee base because capitalism does not work if you don't have people at the bottom willing to do all the work. They want to integrate your rent money into their mortgages, right? So you're paying the rent. They're getting rich because they own the property. So your rent is paying the mortgage for them. So you were brought in as the donkey. They were brought in as the, the jockey of the donkey, right? So ultimately what you have to do is it doesn't mean you have to necessarily get mad at white people. It doesn't mean you necessarily have to walk around just upset at the world. It means that you've got to kind of look at the game and say, how do I make sure I'm positioned in the game in a way that's going to win? So I was having a great conversation today with my goddaughter in Atlanta, and we were talking about property ownership and gentrification and and how she bought some property in an area that's going to be gentrified. And uh, we also talked about uh, obtaining property for the purposes of renting that property so that she could benefit long term in terms of wealth. 
these are the conversations that you must have with your children at an extremely early age. The earlier you have these conversations, the better off your kids will be. Also, you must accompany these conversations with the accumulation of assets through things like the $5 a day investing program. If you don't know about my $5 a day investing plan, um, uh, let's see, a good place to go might be the blackstockmarketprogram.com. It's there. Um, if you look, if you Google it, you can find it that way. But literally, that is a process where, that everybody must do. Right? Again, we set the policy in here. We are the government. We are the government in, in our space. right? And as the government, I'm asking you to implement a policy where... Uh, if you ain't investing for your children, then you ain't black. That that's my rule. If you if you're not preparing your kids for the future, then you ain't really black. There you go. So so let, let's keep going. Let me keep reading here. All right. So strategy four: black underemployment and unemployment. Black men, women, and children were kidnapped and transported all over the world for one purpose: to work and produce white wealth. Until the mid 20th century, they represented America's true and senior labor system. In nearly every instance, the white lower class functioned as a management class over blacks, though in modern times they referred to themselves as the working blue collar class. The lower white class supervised blacks in jobs ranging from picking cotton and digging ditches to working on the assembly lines of large automotive plants. The value of black labor has always been controlled by the white community. Since blacks had few employment alternatives, they were relegated to the dirtiest and hardest work. Blacks' high rates of underemployment and unemployment were reflections of their expendability. They lived by the rule of being the last hired and the first fired. So speaking of the corporate plantation, how many of you have noticed that? How many of you have noticed that black people tend to be the last hired and the first fired? Or you get the crappiest job. That's why one of the universal themes of being black in this country is that most of us have a traumatic relationship with the corporate plantation. It's like all of us dated the same person and we all got abused by the same person. So we sit around and we talk about the fact that the, of, of how that person traumatized us, how that person mistreated us, and we all have the same experience, right? That's what it is. It's like imagine a group of people sitting around, imagine, imagine your worst ex-boyfriend or your worst ex-girlfriend ever and imagine if you were able to talk to the, the other exes of this person and talk about how terrible they were. Think about how long that conversation would be, right? You have to pull out the whole bottle of wine or something, right? Because you'd, be, you'd all be pissed off and traumatized over your experience, right? So ultimately, with Black people, that relationship with the corporate plantation is one that's extremely toxic. It's one that does kill us at an early age. It's one that is built on this horrific dysfunction in which we uh, pass that generational curse onto our children. And it's not our fault. It's a lot of times it's because we don't think our kids can do any better. Well, I'm, I'm here to just tell you that you can do better, that you can actually create a scenario where your child enjoys going to work every day. Maybe they're working for themselves. Maybe they are working for somebody else. But at the very least, um, having them positioned where they have options and things like that is extremely beneficial. So let me keep going. All right. So he says, number one, capitalist democracies have historically accepted a certain level of unemployment as a necessary public good and permitted businesses to use unemployment as a device for maintaining low wages. The acceptance acceptable range of overall unemployment is typically five percent. While recent white unemployment rates rarely exceed five percent, the National Urban League's Hidden Unemployment Index estimates that the jobless rate amongst black adults is four to five times higher than the jobless rate among white adults. Meanwhile, more than 50% of eligible black youth can't find jobs. Though this systematic black unemployment criminalizes blacks and renders them uncompetitive, neither the government nor larger society has demonstrated a willingness 
to use their vast resources to eliminate the causative factors. So you have a lot of teenagers. Teen unemployment is typically very, very high. If you go to a lot of our urban communities, these communities that are typically even run by members of the Democratic Party, some of them have black politicians that have been in power for a very long time. You see uh, a, a ton of young people that have nothing to do, so uh, and they need they need money, so they end up engaging in illegal activity in order to obtain that money. And guess what? Then they start filling up the prison. Then they start making money for the prison system. Uh, that's all. Yeah, Anthony says also all over Baltimore. Well, you can replace the word Baltimore with Chicago, with Philadelphia with Los Angeles, it's all over the country. This is a consistent problem. This is part of uh, what Dr. Anderson refers to as benign neglect. Benign neglect is where they will sit there and they'll come to your church and ask you to vote for them in every election, but they will literally um, rule over the ashes of a decaying, crappy, broken down neighborhood for 20, 30, 40 years. And then you have Negro minions that will come along and make you feel bad because you chose not to participate and, and support that politician. They'll literally come along and they never ever are able to tell you what that politician accomplished. They can't do that because they haven't accomplished anything. All they can do is tell you how bad the Republicans are and that you sound like a Republican if you don't support the Democrats. Well, me not supporting the Democrats is not the same as me becoming a Republican. So just stop that. That's third grader logic. That is uh, destructive logic, and it's just wrong, and it's unfair. Uh, in, in my view, if you're talking about politicians, and if you care about politicians, you have to hold the politicians accountable. I think that's extremely important. If you're not holding politicians accountable, then why are you voting? What are you voting for, right? If you're not holding them accountable, what are you? Why are you even participating in the process, right? So um, that that's my two cents on the issue. Let me keep going. All right. And by the way, just as a reminder. Um, uh, for those of you that want to participate, I, 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 don't, I mentioned to you guys, some of you have reached out to me and you want to talk to me about your business. You want to talk to me about your financial situation. You want to talk to me in sort of a personal, private setting. So I created uh, for one time only, I'm doing something called a level up conversation. We're testing this out to see how it works. Uh, we've done it before and, and we liked it. So we decided to do it again. And this is where only eight people are invited in the room and you get to sit with me for two hours with a group of eight and I will sit and you can tell me about your business. You can tell me about what your family's seeking to do. And I will give you a specific layout and a breakdown and a recommendation based on what you specifically tell me. So they're kind of consultation sessions, but they're not one-on-ones because one-on-ones are, are, are pretty expensive. Uh, so instead of doing one-on-ones, we're actually doing groups of eight. So if you're interested, you can, um, we, we did have a person that canceled for Friday. So uh, we have a spot left. So if you'd like to go to boycewalkins.com, look for the level up conversation and you can click on that and you can join us. There is a fee, um, but it's something that, you know, that, you know, if, if, you, if it's worth it to you, if you'd like to talk to me, then uh, you pay the one-time fee and you can join us in the small group. So think of it as a one-day mastermind. So that's kind of what it is, where we're bouncing ideas off each other and I can support you in whatever you're trying to accomplish. Or if you're trying to build a YouTube channel or start a business or make certain investments or do something with your stock options, I can help you there. All right. So let me keep going. All right. So let's see here. Um, the 20 years between 1969 and 1989 saw the introduction of controversial affirmative action policies supposedly to compensate black employees for past discrimination in the job market. Conservatives vehemently opposed these policies, charging that affirmative action unfairly advantaged and enriched blacks at the expense of whites. However, statistics suggest that affirmative action brought few real changes to the position of black employees. Between 1969 and 1989, black annual income only increased by $22 relative to white income. Moreover, from 1979 to 1989, overall black income increased by only one dollar 
Next, he says, I'm going to skip back because I think I, I might have missed this part here. Um, he says, over the years, blacks have consistently asked for but seldom received employment assistance from the government. Following their 250 years of full employment as slaves, blacks asked that the government give each black slave 40 acres and a mule. Government responded by reshackling them into nearly another century of semi-slavery called sharecropping. In the dying years of the civil rights protest period, blacks held national demonstrations in support of the Humphrey Hawkins full employment bill. A conservative backlash led by major corporations and politicians killed the bill by claiming that the government, not the private sector, would have to hire blacks. Approximately 70% of black college graduates are employed in government because there is no black business infrastructure capable of absorbing them. So what he's saying here, in my view, is that your number one mandate for your children for the next generation is to ensure that we end up creating the infrastructure that we need to sustain a community. You cannot have a whole community full of black job seekers unless you want to have a whole community of people who are traumatized by being on a corporate plantation. You, you cannot, if you create a whole community where every single person in the community is looking to find a white man to give them a job, then you're never going to make any progress because the economic system ain't built that way. The economic system is built to benefit the community that creates the jobs not the community that's seeking the jobs. And I, and I go through this all the time with people that say, well, why are you saying that, every, that people should quit their jobs? I'm not saying everybody's got to quit their job. I, I'm saying somebody's got to do it. And, and we got to support those people when trying to do it. Some of you are going to have kids that are just simply not built to go and work for white people. They, they don't be able to take it. They're going to be too, too woke. They're going to be cursed with wokeness. You know, they're, they're, honestly, if I were to be honest with you, I feel like I'm trading one generational curse for another because uh, you have the generational curse of ignorance. The only thing that's a bigger curse uh, than ignorance is intelligence. I think intelligence can be a bigger curse than ignorance. Awareness can be a curse within itself because if you're aware and you're awake and you know your history and you know who you are and you know what America has done and you understand where the bodies are buried, then you're going to become the radical, angry Negro that nobody wants to work with, right? You will get fired from your job on your day off. They will see you coming from a mile away because America has spent 400 years running away from black people like that. Somebody like me, a boy Watkins does not fit in anybody's corporate plantation because I am literally the guy who's going to completely upset the apple cart. There's a reason why um, I spent many years trying to go visit. Um, there was a prison inmate that I wanted to advocate for uh, in Chicago. And, uh, and this brother got 140 years in prison on drug possession back in 1989. He's been locked up his whole, damn near his whole life. His children have grown up and have, have never seen their father as a free man. And, um, and I wanted to go see him just to say, hi, do you know it took two years, damn near, for the prison to even allow me into the penitentiary? Well, why is that? I mean, you think my real name is like, you know, Boyce Watkins Escobar? Like, am I, am I like, am I, am I moving, moving weight? Like, am I, am I, am I a criminal? Like, do I have a, a long criminal history? No, I don't have that. Like, what, do you think I'm going to bust him out of jail? Wait, 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 what, 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 do they, what do you think that they were thinking when it took them two years to decide that they were going to let me come in and visit him? Well, it was because to some extent I was going to bust him out of jail a little bit. I was going to bust him out of jail with knowledge. 
he's, I was going to help him break out of the prison of, um, of, of ignorance that they were thrusting on him every day. Right. There, like there's a reason, you know, Larry Miller, who was a uh, former CEO of uh, the Air Jordan brand. Larry Miller is a friend of mine and I love this man. I have a lot of respect for him. Larry Miller, uh, he retired from the Jordan brand. He's a brilliant CEO. He took the Air Jordan brand from 300 million a year to two, three billion dollars a year. He's a brilliant guy. And I, I respect him a lot. And uh, Larry and I get along extremely well. And uh, one of the things that Larry is doing right now that I truly um, appreciate is he's now telling his full story. He, he just wrote a book. I think the book is called Jump. And uh, he wrote the book um, basically telling the story of how back in, when he was a teenager, he got into a situation where he ended up killing somebody. And he was in prison from, I think, about the age of 16 to the age of 30. And uh, somehow, some way, the criminal record never showed up whenever they did a background check on different jobs. So he eventually goes and rises up the corporate ladder and becomes the CEO of the Air Jordan brand. I mean, right there with Michael Jordan, like you see everybody with the Jumpman suits on and, and all the kids want the Jordans. Larry Miller did that. He did all of that. Like that's, you know, this guy's brilliant. And he speaks honestly by talking about the fact that he never would have had the chance to do those things if he hadn't been allowed to go to college while he was in jail. He said while he was in prison, he got his diploma. When he was in prison, he got his bachelor's degree. When he was in prison, he learned everything he learned about business. He got ready for the world. He didn't let the time do him. He did, he did the time. The time didn't do him. He came out a better man. So, so, so my point is to say that why would you change the system and get rid of your Larry Millers? Why would you do everything in your power to keep the inmates as dumb as possible, as unprepared as possible, as, as criminal as possible, with as few options as possible, when you know that all that's going to do is make them a danger to the communities and get them sent right back to jail? Well, partly because America's always been in the business of keeping the black man nice and stupid. You know, they do that through the music and all these other mechanisms, and they do everything they can to make sure that that black man never decides to pick up a book. And then, two. They said, wait a minute, we figured out how to make money by keeping these guys locked up. So we really don't want them to be free. What are we going to do with them? Slavery's over with. We can't use them for that anymore. So let's just put them in prison. And then we can actually go back to slavery. We can go back to the good old days. We can make America great again by putting them in prison and having them working for a dollar a day. A dollar a day is not the same as free, but a dollar a day is still a dollar a day. Right. So ultimately, this is this is all part of the game that you have to understand. So so when we're talking about, you know, sort of what we have to do as a people, I really think we have to understand that our mandate for this generation is not just to create, you know, a whole slew, a whole gang of employees. Um, we've got to support and sustain the business owners of the next generation. They're going to need uh, not just the training. They're going to need the inspiration they're going to need the fertile economic soil to build the empires that we're going to need to get us out of this mess. They're going to need capital. That means that as that parent, your job is to start laying the bed for your child so that in the year 2050, that little newborn baby is going to be able to make some gangster moves because you've been buying that baby Apple stock since 2021. You've been buying that baby shares of Microsoft since he was an infant. You were buying shares of, of the Metaverse ETF before the Metaverse was ever even a big thing, right? And you do that, and what you're doing is you're giving your child something that's extremely important in business, and it is called a capital base. 
A capital base is necessary for you to make moves. It's like it's like if I become a race car driver, somebody's got to build me a damn car. I can be the best race car driver in the world, but I cannot race if I'm walking on my feet. I cannot go to NASCAR on a 10-speed bike, right? I cannot win the Indy 500 on a big wheel. So what you're doing when you give your child the capital base, when you're investing for your children right now, is you are giving them the race car, and then through economic education, you are teaching them how to drive the hell out of that thing. And in some of y'all's families, you're going to have a black version of Dale Earnhardt Jr. You're going to have a kid who's going to be ready. He's going to be pro-black. He's going to be 100% B1. He's going to remember all these conversations we had but that his, where his parents were sitting in listening to Dr. Boyce, and he's going to take all that, and he's going to go to a level that we can't even imagine. And it's going to be because you prepared him for battle. You must prepare him for battle. Stop listening to these folks that got your kids out here looking vulnerable and weak and pathetic and as victims. So when I talked to you early, when I started this conversation, I started talking about critical race theory and critical, critical race theory. And then I talked to you guys about the sanctioned white solution, and I talked to you about the authentic black solution. Those are different things. I focus on critical, critical race theory, which is the critical stuff that we must critically learn in order for us to move forward. And then also solutions that come from us that don't have to be sanctioned or approved by anybody else, right? I, I'm not waiting on Congress to sign a bill. I'm not waiting on white people to be nice to me. I'm not waiting on somebody to come along and help us out. We have a lot we can work with right now. Right. So what has to occur is the mindset must shift. We must set policy in our community. You will never see me run for president of the United States because I got enough power right here. The fact that I can talk to a million black people a week is plenty of power and I ain't got to answer to nobody. I like it that way. I don't need to be on TV. I don't need to be in Congress. I don't need to have an official position because that's only going to make me weaker. So ultimately, what I'm saying to you is in your house, you have that power. You control the future. The future is in your hands. What the hell are you going to do? What are you going to do right now? What are you going to do as soon as you walk out of this conversation? Right? You're going to do something to get those babies ready for the future and get yourself ready for the future. Let me keep going. Let me keep reading. All right. So on page 190, Black Labor, White Wealth, I'm reading a little bit more and then, uh, and then we can be done for this week because I've given us something to think about for the week. He says, number five, low paying minimum wage jobs are more attractive to immigrants than blacks. Immigrants see these low, low wage jobs as temporary stops on their way to a better life. It is a way of paying their dues. Blacks have paid nearly four centuries of dues, but they never had reason to be optimistic that a minimum wage job would lead them up the economic ladder. For them, those jobs were not temporary. They were permanent. Minimum wage jobs for blacks are a form of labor exploitation, a waste of brain power, and another cause of low respect. Now, one thing that Dr. Anderson mentioned earlier when he talked about how slavery was continued uh, through uh, things like sharecropping. Well, one thing you got to understand is that sharecropping isn't just a matter of being on farmland. A lot of college graduates are basically sharecroppers. Uh, if, if, uh, to explain it br briefly, the sharecropping system was pretty simple. You would let somebody work the land and you would kind of share the revenue with them and you would loan them the tools and loan them the land and, and they would lease the land from you and work the land. And then whatever they made outside of what they owed you, they were able to, I guess, pocket some of that. Right. So so sharecropping made sense. To a point. Right. It seemed to make sense. But here was the problem. If I put you so deep in debt 
that you can't ever repay the debt, then you get to a point where you're working your butt off and you're not getting anywhere because the amount that you owe me exceeds the amount that you're able to generate from the work that you're doing, right? So effectively, you are stuck. You're trapped. It's another trap that you get caught into that you can't get out of. Well, student loans are just like that trap. A lot of our college graduates are in the student loan trap where you are basically a corporate sharecropper. You have so much debt that you can't repay it. And because you have all this debt and you feel like you have to get it done, you have to find a way to repay it. You work yourself into the ground and you're not doing this to get ahead or to get rich. You're doing it to barely survive and barely get by. And you literally work for the rest of your life. And maybe you pay your debt off by the time you're like 65 years old. That's very, very depressing. That's very, very sad. So uh, two things. One, if you have kids, tell them about that trap and help them avoid that trap. Uh, make those investments for them early. I don't I didn't put my kids, you know, our son just started college. We, we, we can afford the expensive schools, but we didn't want to send them to an expensive school. I said, no, just work the hell out of a state school or let's work the hell out of a school that is affordable and doesn't cost a ton of money. Because if you work hard and you study, you're going to be smart no matter what school you go to. Right. And then also uh, the other thing you can do is if you're in that situation, you might want to find ways to accelerate your income. So you might want to go back to school, so to speak. So go, to go back to school, you don't have to go to uh, some program and go spend $100,000 getting an MBA or some advanced degree, unless you know for sure that that's going to give you a really good income spike that's going to help you really get over the hump. So, for example, if you're going back to school to, to finish up your nurse practitioner degree and you're going to make 100000 a year, then by all means, you have my blessing, go for it as long as the debt's not too high. But if you're talking about just learning extra skills that might increase your income, uh, there are plenty of ways to learn things like how to start a business, how to start something in e-commerce, how to make investments, how to generate uh, rental property income, things like that, that can actually get you further along for a much lower price. So I would start sort of going back to school and learning new skills that you didn't pick up in school. A lot, I know a lot of PhDs who have no clue how to, um, how to make money. Right. The only way they know how to make money is by getting a job and having somebody pay them. That's a very dangerous, vulnerable position to be in. So I would encourage you to be aware of these traps. Don't feed those to your kids. And if you're in the trap, there is a solution. There is a way to get out of it. Don't give up on yourself. All right. So let's see. Number six, limited employment opportunity is a major difference between black and white communities. The lack of private sector employment opportunity within black communities forces blacks to seek income from government jobs welfare assistance, and sometimes criminal activities. All of these sources are condemned by conservatives, yet these same conservatives frequently resist policy changes that would create private sector alternatives in black American communities. Moreover, conservatives are the primary exploiters of government and the general public through their immoral and unfair business practices. That's true. Republicans are the fastest ones to say welfare is bad, but they're the quickest ones to ask for welfare when, when the company's going bad or whatever. Like During the pandemic, um, a lot of the businesses that, that tend to be on that more conservative side, uh, they were generating a ton of money uh, through these PPP loans and stuff like that. Also, the whole tax policy is built in a way where uh, it makes the rich richer. The rich, It's easy for rich people to make money. It's easy for investors to get money. So that's one of the reasons why I encourage you to get on that side of the fence, the investor side, so that you can actually get some of those benefits because it's not going to stop. It's going to destroy America. You did integrate into a burning house. So my uh, argument to you, uh, you know, shout out to Dr. King, is stop integrating. Just stop integrating. You know, because if you keep integrating into um, into the mindset of the people that run this country, you're going to lose. 
That's why, for example, when we talk about wealth, I never let anybody say, oh, you're a black capitalist. No, I'm not. I, I talked to a, a, a black guy actually about this who said, yeah, we should have a, a, a public conversation about black capitalism. I said, well, I can't help you because I'm not a capitalist because capitalism can be harmful and destructive when it's done in the wrong way. Um, I believe in black economic power. I believe in building black wealth. I believe in economic security, but I ain't trying to be no capitalist. Uh, that's, that's a very harmful ideology when it's done in the wrong way. Big Pharma is very capitalist. You see what Big Pharma does to society, right? Um, the the over, over commitment to capitalism is the reason your schools are terrible. Well, why is that? Well, because your kids aren't really generating revenue for anybody. So if they don't vote, so who cares about the kids? So you're not investing in your future. You don't respect your elders. You have a society where, uh, where working class people are mistreated horribly. These companies, they can afford to increase the minimum wage. They just want to squeeze the lifeblood out of the worker. That's going to eventually uh, cause a revolution. That's going to eventually destroy your society. So do not build your empire in that way. Build it in a way that allows you to get an adequate return on your investment, that allows you to get the control uh, that you seek and the ownership that you seek, while at the same time allows you to achieve the double, triple, and quadruple bottom line of ensuring that you're not the only one in your circle who's doing good. Because if you're in a circle of people and you're the only one who's doing well economically, eventually they will turn on you and they will eat you alive. So do not be the fat guy eating a big bowl of chicken while everybody around you is starving because eventually the starving people are going to cut your throat. So, so just be smart as you build and, and do what black people do very well, which is um, we, we're very ethical people, right? Sometimes that's a liability. Sometimes that's a benefit. In this case, I see it as a benefit. Okay, does that make sense? All right, so uh, we, we've done enough for today, I think. Uh, I hope that this conversation was beneficial to you. Uh, today, the whole discussion uh, circling back, critical, critical race theory. Um, we don't need white people to teach us critical race theory. We can teach ourselves. Also, we need solutions that are not sanctioned for, by other people. We can implement our own solutions. So remember, you are the government in your house. Go make some policy and go create some standards and get your kids and get your family on code. Be the one in the room who's bringing this information to, the, to your people that you love. And believe me, they're going to pay attention because, because, number one, you're right. And number two... People respond in a certain way to people who know who the hell they are. So just know who you are and don't be ashamed of that. You will win. That is how you will succeed. Give me a yes in chat if you get what I'm saying so we can bounce on out of here. All right, guys. Have a good night. Uh, tomorrow, just as a reminder, we're doing the Black Wealth Boot Camp tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. Julian Gordon, the real estate expert, is going to be our guest for tomorrow night. So if you're in the boot camp, you can join us. If you haven't joined, you can still go to blackwealthbootcamp.com. We're in week two out of six weeks. Everything is recorded. So feel free to go to blackwealthbootcamp.com. And also the Level Up Conversations. Again, it's only a group of eight. There's only one spot left. Uh, since someone canceled, there's a spot that opened up. So if you want to talk to me face-to-face, one-on-one, tell me about your business, tell me about your economic goal, and get my personal recommendation directly with you, feel free to go to voicewalkins.com. Look for the Level Up conversation um the link's right below my name and you should be able to find it there all right guys have a good night god bless you i'll see you next week and uh, i'll talk to you soon take care bye-bye